Welcome to Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field. This is the organization's final project as it closes in December 2022. In this four-part podcast and writing series, we'll explore what we've learned together through the life, work, and closing of Common Field, a network-centered arts nonprofit organization. You'll also hear about artist-centered work pushing our field forward today and our dreams for the future of creative sustainability from network members across the country. Each podcast episode is paired with commissioned writings from Ikram Lakhtar, writer and former Common Field staff member, Racing Magpie co-founder Mary Bordeaux with artist Clementine Bordeaux, Allison Friedman Weisberg and Sean Leonardo, co-directors of Recess, and Common Field board members Sarah Williams and Jackie Clay. You can access these writings, additional episodes in the series, and project materials for Common Work, Learnings for the Future, on commonfield.org through April 2023. Beyond that, you can access the project in full on our platform partner websites, including Jack Straw Cultural Center and Lohar Projects. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Episode 3, Community Building is Culture. This episode welcomes network members to discuss the criticality of community building for the possibilities of cultural expression. Together, they will talk about the ways their organizations and projects are carrying this work forward today. This group discussion includes Lori Mertes, Executive Director of Locust Projects in Miami, Florida, Vashti Dubois, founder and executive director of the Colored Girls Museum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Matthew Floharty, co-founder of the Art of the Rural with headquarters in Winona, Minnesota. Hi, Matthew. Hi, Vashti. Hi. How are you, Lauren? Really good to uh, regroup after our initial little chat uh, for today. And the uh, Common Field Communities Culture. I'm Lori Mertes. I'm the Executive Director of Locust Projects in Miami. And um, Locust Projects is turning 25 next year. It's Miami's longest running alternative art space, just maybe as a way of kind of to kick our conversation off. Um, I was thinking, Vashti, you talked about the word imagining and um, maybe where. I'm curious where resilience might come in to things. Do you all have any thoughts? For starters, I'm Vashti Dubois, and I'm the executive director and the founder of the Colored Girls Museum. I'm in Philadelphia. I've been here for 21 years. You know, so the Colored Girls Museum, you know, celebrates ordinary women and girls of the African diaspora through uh, the submission of art and artifact, which is significant to our experience. And so what makes anything matter is that we say so, which is not a, a privilege afforded, certainly not ordinary women and girls of the African diaspora. To respond to the to this this word like imagination is it's been a word that has sort of followed me my whole life. I imagine everything 
you know, I imagine what I want. Um, I imagine what I need. I am always imagining how, you know, the creative community is really always wanting to create the next thing that might have us, at least in the metaphorical rooms, together. So while the community that I serve is very specific in the words of the great Lorraine Hansberry, I understand that in order to be universal, you have to be specific. You know, when you look you know, at the ordinary anything, you then begin to notice its extraordinary qualities. And you don't have to imagine that, right? It's actually there, it's there for the taking. At this moment in Commonfield's life cycle, it's an interesting time for all of us uh, to be thinking about what we imagine in the life cycle of the work that we do as creatives, you know, in the, the life cycle of our own institutions and communities that we support and represent. I came to Locus because it's a space, like I, I like to say a space of yes. Having worked in institutions, museums specifically, that spend a little more time negotiating or compromising an artist's ideas and what they imagine so, you know, having a space of yes, where an artist can, an artist can jackhammer the floors, an artist can hang swings from the ceiling, all in support of an artist experimenting to push their practice. One of the things in thinking about, you know, this imagining or this, you know, you know, locust is at this sort of beginning of something new. And I'm questioning, you know, the closer we get to being more of an institution, do we get further away from being able to be that space of yes? To me, I feel like as museums are being challenged in terms of their funding structures and, and governance, you know, it feels like this is the time where this community, the common field community, is so relevant and resonant. And how do we support the resilience? What do you think, Matthew? You know, there is so much that resonates with me from what you all have shared. And, and I guess I feel like I'm sort of walking down this hallway, thinking about these acts of imagining and also sort of that kind of radical space of yes. You know, I think in some respects, when you say the word imagination, in a really general sense in our lexicon to folks, it's uh, viewed as a singular thing. And a lot of the power of common field and, and of these kinds of conversations in the spaces that folks just create is that it, when it's powerful, it's communal. I'm from um, Appalachian, Ohio, and um, like the visual culture in a lot of sort of non-urban places, particularly the ones I'm from in Appalachia, is murals. That's kind of the entry point. There's a town really close to where I live that has a mural, and the mural is sort of like the history of that town. It's pretty much specific to that culture, a sort of white settler culture is that history. But the other side of the building doesn't have anything. You know, and I think that's like the growth area. Where is like the radical yes? Because like that yes is a communal yes. It's harder for yes to be singular. You know, a yes is really dependent on other folks. Yeah, there has to be trust in for there to be yes. There has to be this sort of understanding. It's not just that 
you know, as a director, I'm walking in the door and saying, Locust is a space of yes. No, there's a whole infrastructure that supports that. Vashti, you actually, you've carved out, you know, this idea of creating space or holding space we talked about. Um, Where does yes fit for you? You know, the Colored Girls Museum, you know, aspires to be a place of yes for the communities that we seek to serve as a space that really, you know, sees ourselves as a community museum, first and foremost, for the kinds of communities that typically, you know, spaces are not created with our communities in mind. Saying yes to that community by opening the doors and really exploring uh, from a sort of historical perspective, a spiritual perspective, an emotional perspective, this idea of radical homemaking. So often people will say, you know, like what a brilliant idea, like how did you think of it? And I, would, and, I, and I say, I didn't think of it. First of all, the history of museums are homes. You know, during segregation, everything had to be done in community space and in your home space. And so this is just really falling back on a history which has always been because we are restricted by economics, by racism, by sexism, by all of these things. There are moments in the work that we do, however much you know, you want to have the spirit of yes, you also have to acknowledge the places where, interestingly enough, yes is not enough. It's a particular challenge for anyone who's sort of moving into this art and community space because you you recognize the toll and the responsibility of an aspiration to say yes as often as possible. But I think you have to be really mindful of that in particular if you are women. Also to say yes is, is real. First thing off the tongue. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can, we can do it. I can do it. Make it happen. Um, I, I really appreciated, you know, this, this because I am very much struggling with that idea of sustaining that culture of yes. And that yes is to a particular community. It's to the community that founded this organization. So trying to stay loyal to you know, what was the founding premise of the three artists who started Locust? It was about artists. So Matthew, and you talking about murals and the work that you do in the public sphere, also the experience of art, being in the community, both of the spaces your work and your practice has inhabited is exactly where the work of art originally began, which I think is really interesting. I mean, it's interesting because it takes me back I'm grateful to think about the mural again in in a different way. And I feel that I don't talk about murals much, but I feel it. And that what y'all are sharing is taking me to um, a really profound organization that we've been working with called the Huck Finn Freedom Center in Hannibal, which is many things, but I think like folks would describe as kind of a vernacular black history museum in Hannibal, which is the town that Mark Twain was originally from. That gets a lot of cultural tourism and has a very one-dimensional story about certainly about its history, but also about uh, what it is as a community right now. Um, It created for me like this question around like, what would a mural do in this situation versus 
deeper engagement with the really deep unacknowledged history of a place, which is what the Freedom Center is doing in Hannibal. So that's resonating with me and that like we're talking about a kind of art form, but also within it, a question about what is possible and where the yes is. You know, and I'm curious, like what that the dimensions of what that looks like in, in urban communities as well. You know, what what you raise here, right? Which and, and again, Commafield's decision to sunset now is a is a perfect example of that. That so often you find yourself in order to say yes, you have to say no. You know, in the no is the next possibility because you can't say yes to everything and get anything done. I am just really, you know, learning that, you know, sometimes at at the museum because we have artists curators or, you know, we really work with sort of an apprenticeship model. And so when people come into the space to work, again, our aspiration is like, yes, that's fantastic. Go for it. Um, (laughs) um, you know, that has created more work than we can actually manage as creatives who find ourselves in administrative positions. And so, you know, doing this peculiar dance with our artistry, trying to hold on to it on the one hand and then like manage these quote unquote resources on the other hand, so that we can sustain ourselves, right? It is, in my view, impossible to do that if there isn't a learned understanding of where the stops have to be. No's are just another path. They are not the end of anything. They are another possibility. And that that's not something that I think we often are comfortable thinking about. Bashti, I'm curious in your role, because obviously you're a tremendous mentor. You talked about the, you know, the artists, the curators, the interns. What is your sort of aspiration for some of them? You know, when I held all these executive director leadership positions, and I always would say to the staff, my goal is to make you executive director proof, right? My goal is to know that if I don't walk through those doors one day, you you know absolutely what it is that needs to be done and you're fine. I really don't believe that things have to have, have to exist into perpetuity just because we created them. From the moment the Colored Girls Museum had, you know, her first exhibition, you know, I saw my job as really working myself out of the position of moving this forward by myself because things don't succeed that way. And we can really look at our field and see how that is the case that if you're not uh, really, you know, sort of conscious and committed to creating space for new leadership, not just when you leave, but while you're there, you know, I started a theater company when I was, you know, 26 in New York city, because I knew I had the imagination, the energy, the drive and the skills to do something more than get somebody's coffee. But I could see based on what other people were doing that, you know, I was really in this space of having to wait my turn. And I was definitely afraid that I would be waiting my turn until I was 50. And I might have been. So I really encourage in particular any 
any young women of the African diaspora I meet because people are always telling us, be more humble, wait your turn. It's not your time. You know, you need more skills and yet nobody wants to give you more skills. I tell people the truth as I understand it. Nobody's going to necessarily give you permission to live your biggest life. The only person who can really do that is you. So, you know, but I was thinking about the rise of artist run spaces, alternative art spaces, and we came from through a field where they didn't teach us a lot of things. And I just think of where we are in this space, because we're all, again, in in a space that's been kind of created in the last 25 years, you know, in this idea of what's next. You know, and from my own experience in, in that timeline, you know, it seems like a lot of sort of the non-urban field has kind of come in, come into focus maybe in the last decade of, the, of that last 25 years, you know, w- which corresponds with, you know, definite social and political things that happened in that last decade as well. To go back to that word, all of the artifacts or the practices, which are like deeply intimate to our everyday life of being a part of an organization and a community doing work also kind of emanate out to this larger scale. I think about the path of art of the rural, like that, that has been the the moment when like the monster truck has almost gone off the cliff, you know, <laughs> like, like <laughs> one has to be reminded of, of their like responsibility and, and, and how interdependent we are. As I think just about the, the growth of art of the rural, like that's, there's like a capitalist structure at work whose like primary calculus is get bigger and that that somehow is a signifier for the health or the impact or the longevity, whatever that means, like a, of an organization. In the places that I know well, intimately, those have been the very pathologies that have created pain in our communities. You describe the organization as a decentered, a decentered collaborative organization. Is there a way to remain so? It sounds like you have been uh, eavesdropping on our conversations <laughs> internally. Yeah, I mean, look at this is the uh, thing. Like, it, it's like you know, Laurie, when you said that, like that sounds really amazing. It being decentered and collaborative, and like those are our values for sure. Yeah. You know, um, but man, in practice, it's really challenging. Um, how is power held? Mm-hmm. You know, because at the end of the day, we are working with capital. You mm-hmm. know, and how do we collectively make decisions? What this looks like in terms of art of the rural is that we have sort of a couple sort of major initiatives and those really are run by the folks who who run the, the that's not me making decisions the folks who are doing a rural urban exchange in kentucky they're deciding where resources go where that program goes the connections they're making how they describe it etc cetera, etc cetera. that never translates into some kind of slick elevator pitch about what we do you know, and I think that like for a long time was a real challenge for folks with our organization. Like, well, like, what? I don't even know what they do. And like, there are days that I don't, I mean, I don't know, you know, if I'm just being honest with y'all, <laughs> like, I don't know. I know where the heart is of the work, yeah. but I mean, like, how does that dynamic work for you all? Because you all are, are running, are running efforts that are like really like community-based, decentered, collaborative in nature, power is shared. Like, what, what does that look like for y'all? It comes up in all of these really interesting and subtle, you know, subtle and not so subtle ways. And, you know, I think one of my skills is that I can, takes me about five minutes to figure out what somebody is really, really good at, even if they're not good at it yet. And, you know, really just 
opening up space for people to do what they do. You know, the part of me that's a really good parent is the part that can like deal with the mess of, of like really saying, okay, well that, how are you going to work that out? But I, you know, as a, as an artist, I just feel like that's such an essential part of the work. And I learned so much from my own dis-ease with looking at, you know, messiness that I'm willing, you know, I'm willing to deal with it, but not everybody is. So people, people I want to be led, but they don't want to be led. Like it's, <laughs> it's the push and pull of it all. And I think we just have to be really honest about that. You know, I'm curious about how other people are dealing with it. That I'm, I'm just living with the shit show, frankly. You know, we all know that through collaboration, we're better. But at the same time, I mean, this is a a big week in Miami. It's uh, a big nonprofit Give Miami Day. It's dialing for dollars. And we're all ruthlessly, cutthroatly, you know, going, "Ah, get out of my way. You know, let me go after these donors. You know, so there's a limit to where that collaborative spirit can take us because we're all at the end of the day trying to uphold these spaces in these places that we've created and trying to sustain. Because I think the other side is common field brought us together. So how do we stay together? Is that important? I think it is. I think you'd agree. But how do we, you know, what, what fills the space of connectivity for us as common field goes away? You know, I was thinking about our conversation today and just kind of reflecting on just like, all of the things that I know that Common Field has brought for me and, and for the folks that I know and just those like really warm human times where we we were together at, at various gatherings. And, you know, like when one goes into a room, whether it's physical or digital, and we're able to have conversations like this, you know, like a lot of this is a shit show. And I'm like really grateful that that was like said out loud, you know, <laughs> and like the commons the commons is a shit show, but it, like, it's beautiful and things grow there. It's so powerful. We can almost lose sight of it sometimes. I always like the name common field and what does connect us always, whether we're in conversation or not, is this common field, this common field of creativity, imagination, entrepreneurship. I love sunsets. And what I know about every sunset is that there's always a sunrise. And so I don't fear sunset. I don't fear uh, disconnection. You know, my, my relationship was and continues to be with what, with like how the field is feeling and like what we all have in common out here. And we're not, like I said, we're not always connected on a daily way, but we're connected by our intention to really make a better world. It doesn't always turn out as we would like. Um, And sometimes some of us have to move off stage so that other folks can move forward. And I think that's rich and beautiful and brave. It's just really been an honor to get to talk to you both. I mean, I really hope this conversation leads to us like actually being in person somewhere in the years ahead. Come on down. (laughs) Iguanas and all. I'll put some iguanas in your suitcase on the way back. (laughs) No doubt. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field. This project was produced with Chris Tyler and Raquel Dutois 
Graphic design by Alexa Smithrick and copy editing by Nicolet Duque. Jack Straw Cultural Center recorded, edited, and produced this podcast series. Common Work, Learnings for the Future from Common Field, was developed and curated by Sheetal Prajapathy in collaboration with the Common Field team. Theme music by Josh Nucci. Common Field would like to thank the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, whose significant and ongoing support of the organization has made this work possible since 2013.